Hi guys, welcome to the Physionic Dedicated Podcast. My name is Nicholas Verhoeven. I am a PhD student in molecular medicine. I have my master's in exercise physiology, and I am a confused grad student today. Let me explain why. So uh, I have two topics I wanted to talk about today. One of them is more lengthy than the other one, and I've thought about these podcasts. I'm I've been on the fence if I want to have like a direction every single time that I I want to have one of these podcasts. And I really do want it to just be more natural flowing that I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head. I don't have as many notes, things of that nature. Uh, So I thought I'd take a stab at it today. And um, there's this one thing I wanted to talk about because I'm going to be posting about it on uh, social media Uh, later on this week, talking about diets. There was a study looking at an association study that looked over over 25 years uh, of different diets in different cultures, different societies, uh, over, I don't know, I think it was like 145 or 150 different countries. So it was a a huge, huge study. Um, And they determined that one in five people that have died Uh, could have had preventable deaths because of diet. So their diet was a uh, highly correlated, I'll put it again, correlation not meaning causation, but I think it's pretty intuitive to think that if your diet is crap, then your health is probably going to be crap. Uh, No huge uh, shocking revelation there. So they just said, you know, I think it was like 11 million people in 2017 when the uh, study wrapped up, uh, 11 million people died due to preventable causes related to dieting. So diet as in like nutrition, not losing weight necessarily. And that's kind of interesting. You know, I just thought I'd share. Uh, it's not groundbreaking, but it certainly tells us that it's not just, I think the big thing that we can take away from that is it's not just America. You know, it's not just the Western world. They looked at a lot of different countries. And undernutrition is a big issue as well. It's not just overnutrition, um, or not not that overnutrition necessarily is a huge thing. Overconsumption is a huge thing, and there's a difference there. Uh, overconsumption being that you're just going to continue to gain weight, and overnutrition is potentially just that you're getting too many of different vitamins and whatnot, which can be dangerous, but I don't think it's that. I don't think it's a, a huge issue in the United States or really in the Western world. So anyways, I wanted to talk about that real quick. Uh, just kind of mention it. Uh, you know, they said, look at your diet, make small changes, and it could drastically decrease your uh, potential mortality. Uh, that's what I got for you on that one. Uh, not too much more. The other topic I wanted to talk about is is a mystery. I've got, I've got a bit of a physiological mystery for you guys. I, I like to post these on uh, Instagram especially just because they're really interesting. I mean, the number of things that we, the the number of things that I read when I'm looking at like the lay literature or looking at textbooks and stuff, it's, it's all very interesting. It's almost always true, but you have to, I really think about when I'm reading like multiple studies, like 10, 15 studies, you can you can get a sense, a trend of the literature and understand that that trend is leading you to a particular conclusion. And that conclusion tends to be 
correct for from now until eternity, uh, regardless of if we get better measures or anything like that. But pretty frequently, I run across literature that's just all over the place. And the scientists that are, the researchers that are writing these papers are just like, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> we have no clue why things are so all over the place. And that is the case with this particular physiological concept. Now, I talked to a bone biologist about this at my university, and he gave me an explanation, and I still have to really investigate that explanation uh, to kind of really flesh it out because I don't want to dismiss it, but I'm not entirely sold on it yet. So what is this mystery? And if you have ideas as to what the conclusion to this could be, please contact me, okay? I would, I would love to discuss it with you. Uh, that would be fantastic. Even if you just have some inkling of an idea, send it my way. I'm always, uh, I'm always open to, you know, I'm not going to be thinking about every little possibility. Uh, think outside the box. So this is related to your bones. Obviously, that's why I talked to a bone biologist. And this is bone physiology talking about what's called the parathyroid gland. The parathyroid gland is right uh, alongside your carotid, so it's in your uh, neck. And it releases a PTH, parathyroid hormone. So it releases parathyroid hormone when your calcium levels are low in your bloodstream. Now, let me, let me distinguish that for a second. You can have plenty of calcium in your body and have low calcium in your bloodstream. So your bones contain 99.9% .9 of your calcium uh, in your body. And... There's a small amount that's always in your bloodstream, kind of like a signaling molecule. And this can be used for many different cases, but in this, it's just calcium homeostasis. You have to maintain a certain amount of calcium, otherwise you die. If you have too much calcium, then that'll give you a lot of chronic, uh, a series of different chronic issues. And But usually if you have high calcium, your bones will grow. The, the, the cells in your bones will realize that, oh, okay, we've got high calcium. We can start making more bone because we need a place to, to put all that calcium. So if you consume calcium, let's say in milk or I, I don't know, some other food, whatever it is, uh, your intestines will modulate how much calcium it's going to take up which is going to end up in your bloodstream. It's going to circulate till it reaches your bones. And then your cells are going to take those, take those molecules of calcium and lay them down and you're going to get more bone. But on the opposite, of course, is if you have a low calcium level, you're not consuming enough calcium, then your intestines will grab at anything it possibly can that's calcium. So it starts to take in as much calcium, all the calcium you consume, it just like sucks it up, you know? Um, as opposed to just being like, eh, you know, I don't care. It's all good. We're, we're fine on calcium. So your t intestines can be modulated that way, especially when it comes to calcium. But beyond that, once it gets in your blood, your, if you look at your bloodstream and it's low in calcium, the other thing your body can do because it knows that you have this reserve of calcium in your bones, this massive reserve of calcium, what is it does is your parathyroid gland will sense that you have low calcium and it will release parathyroid hormone into your bloodstream, which will bind to bone cells, 
which will then lead to what's called bone resorption or the breakdown of bone, releasing free calcium into the bloodstream to then bring that blood calcium level back up. And then presumably once it's back up, the parathyroid uh, gland would then stop secreting parathyroid hormone. So that is what the textbooks say. Shockingly, however, the research does not agree. Uh, I've read several studies now. I'm talking, I don't know, seven, eight studies, and they all they're all over the place. I mean, they are just all over the place. So the big the big takeaway here, kind of in the grand picture, is that you have this increase in parathyroid hormone with low calcium. And oddly enough, what we find is that you get more bone building. So low calcium levels in the blood, and for some reason, the cells, the bone cells are like, hey, great, we have almost no supplies. Let's waste it all on building bone. That makes zero sense, makes no physiological sense. So that's what I'm trying to solve. I'm trying to figure that out. Like, I have no idea what's going on there. Uh, but apparently for a period of like 12 months to all the way up to even 24 months, so we're talking two years, your bones will build with an increase in PTH. So completely against all of what the textbooks say, which really just calls in the question, like what in the world is going on? And nobody seems to just be able to just straight up answer it. Like there is a paper that looks at different mechanisms and tries to explain it. And they're just like, yeah, maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. I don't, I, mean, I don't know. At the end, they're like, they're kind of like shrugging their shoulders essentially. And yet, in the textbooks, we're just like, yes, PTH. It definitely uh, leads to bone breakdown, and it does. But after two years, so question one is one: How did we get to that conclusion that PT, a rise in PTH leads to uh, bone resorption or the release of free calcium? How did we get to that? And secondly, why after two years with nothing else changing, just elevated PTH levels, your bones or your bone cells are like, oh, 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 crap. Oh, uh, yeah, we were supposed to be resorbing bone, guys. <laughs> we're not supposed to be putting down bone. We're supposed to be destroying bone to get get calcium into the into the serum, into the bloodstream. So. It just, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, and I'm sure there's some other hormone that's playing a factor. I just can't, I, I have some ideas on what that might be, but still like this, this switch and just the, the time, the kinetics, the, the kinetics are always a big thing. And a lot of people just don't consider that. Like if you have, if you have a situation where you have to have something that's released you have to ask yourself, how long does it take to release? How long is it into in your bloodstream? Like PTH, the half-life of PTH is something like 11 minutes. So once it's in your bloodstream, 11 minutes later, it's essentially gone. It's degraded. So then you have to uh, come out with more. So your parathyroid gland is constantly releasing PTH. So it's not, so you have this like short acting hormone but in the long term, it has such substantial impact on your bones, but it's completely against what the lay literature says, and it the, the scientific literature is all over the place when it comes to it. So we really need to come to some sort of an understanding on this, uh, and I just don't know what that understanding is. Now, 
One more confusion. Let me throw this at you as well. The same exact thing. So now let's let's zoom into our bone cells and let me differentiate between well, let me just say three bone cells, but I'm specifically going to be talking about two. We have our osteocytes, which are kind of our regulatory bone cells, which kind of tell the other two bone cells what to do. And that's a very simplistic understanding of what they do. Uh, they do far, far more than that. But that's what I'm going to tell you because that's all you need to know. Um, and the other two are osteoblasts. So think blast building. So they build bone and osteoclasts. Clast. So... Uh, I can't think of anything that starts with a C that's like degradation. Uh, it destroys. It destroys bone. It just gets rid of bone and frees up calcium. And then you have your bone matrix, which is the uh, non-living portion of your bone, which makes up the majority of your bone. So presumably you'd think, according to the latex, you would think that PTH would bind to osteoclasts because you would want to destroy bone. You would want to free up bone. Oddly enough as weird as biology can be sometimes, uh, osteoclasts do not have a receptor for PTH. So they are completely blind to this hormone that supposedly has this massive impact on their regulation. Just completely blind, just don't recognize it whatsoever. So what in the world's going on there? Well, I do have the answer for that. PTH binds to osteoblasts. So osteoblasts, the builders, do have a, a, a receptor for it. And those will then upregulate and start activating and they start laying down bone. And then they will also communicate to the osteoclast for them to start activating. So you have both of these activating, but one of them directly by the hormone in a very counterintuitive physiological system. And the other one completely indirectly through the other one makes no sense. And your osteocytes are also bound by PTH, and they have some uh, level of regulation as well. But for the most part, the osteoblasts and the class are the big ones. So, I mean, I'm talking like microscopic levels. Things make no sense. I'm talking like the, the physiology between the different organ systems. We're talking about the endocrinology of the, PT, the PTH itself. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So, I... I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Uh, it's so interesting. It's so fun, you know, to have these kinds of problems. And if you get to some conclusion that just makes sense, like it fits, ah, oh man, it's like a key that just fits all of the different literature. Like you have like 11 different papers. They're all saying something different or, you know, there's a few commonalities and then you're able to figure out a hypothesis that would fit all of that stuff and still make sense in a physiological system. I mean, you feel good. Like, you feel like you really critically thought. And I, sometimes I'm sitting there just writing out, just trying to figure out, you know, where can I make these connections? So I'm sending this out to you guys. This is for you. Uh, if you can think of some reason as to why this might be the case, I, Nicholas Verhoeven, would be happy to hear your opinion, to hear your thoughts on this system. And uh, certainly don't, don't think that everything that I told you is everything out there. It isn't. Uh, there are other, certainly other uh, hormones, other things like osteocalcin, for example, uh, can be released. And that has an antagonistic role. I, I didn't get into that a whole lot. But still, the fact that textbooks are saying PTH release leads to 
uh, greater release of calcium from the breakdown of bone, and then the literature just is all over the place on that and doesn't really say that that's actually the case. And the fact that PTH does not bind those specific cells that create, that make that happen, uh, it makes it a little difficult. It makes it a little difficult to understand. So uh, we will get to the bottom of this. I will eventually get a working hypothesis uh, that I will at some point present. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I hope that this was informative. I mean, I guess the first part was informative. I guess you learned a little bit about physiological systems and you learned about how confusing medicine and the human body and physiology can be and endocrinology can be and biology can be. So with that said, oh, if you like this kind of style where I just like ramble about like a problem in physiology or I talk about a particular, you know, system, um, let me know. I would love to hear that as well. Uh, this is, it's cool. It's fun. It's fun for me to, to have an outlet where I can talk about things like this. And uh, most people don't want to listen to, to a guy talk about um, science. Uh, usually I restrict myself mainly because uh, I would go on for hours, days, <laughs> if I could. So I usually just stay uh, silent. So uh, hopefully you do like this kind of style because most likely I'm going to be doing it again in the future. With that said, I hope that I have the pleasure of speaking with you guys next time. And uh, if you did enjoy this, if you enjoy the podcast, please, uh, you know, send it out for people to, to check out and review it. That would mean a lot to me. And with that said, I will catch you in the next one. Have a good one, guys. See ya.